church. How are you this morning? Good. We're doing good. Now, it is so great to be here today. We have had an amazing time at Brisbane Adventist College. I don't know if this works yet. Does it work? Am I pointing the right direction at you, sir? Oh, there we go. And we've been learning about all what it means to be in the overflow, right? Now, I ran into a very interesting character backstage, Hasidia. Apparently, she's been telling you guys stories all week. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? But it's great because it means my, my sermons get cut in half because I don't need to retell the story. So I'm sure you guys have heard of the story about how when Jesus healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. Have you heard about it? Oh, easy peasy. Don't have to repeat it. Perfect. So we've had a really good time at Brisbane Adventist College this week. We've been learning about what it means to be in the overflow. We learned that it's all about being about your father's business. It was all about doing amazing things to showcase who Jesus is. It was also about learning that he makes the impossible possible. We also learned that he can take our little things, our little talents, and make them big, awesome things. And we also learned that overflow is the way to go. And then we also learned, this is what we're going to be learning about today, is what's the point of it all? What, what is the point? Why do we choose to overflow at the end of it? Now, for those of you that may not know, I have a mum and a dad. I know, crazy, crazy world we live in. So that's my dad, very jolly man. And there is my mum. Now, I love my parents because they provide me with endless sermon content. They are those kind of parents. There's always a story to tell, always something happening. And recently, well, not recently, a couple of years ago, my parents actually moved to Tasmania and bought a farm. Why? I don't know. Did they know what they were doing? No. Were they going to give it a go? They tried. I don't know how well of a go they gave it. But my dad had all this land, and he was the kind of guy who's like, this is my kingdom. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. So my parents were very excited, and my dad had all this land, and he thought, you know what? I'm a bit too lazy to mow the lawn, so I need sheep. So he bought a bunch of sheep, and he's like, how do I get more sheep? Well, I need a ram, right? You need a ram to make more sheep, and the generations continue. Um, so my dad went to the place, the trusted place where you can always find a ram, Gumtree. Um, and he found, he found this ram being sold in Gumtree with a very, I mean, the title should have been the warning, Old Grumpy Ram. So I don't know, my dad maybe was like, I'm Old Grumpy Man, so Old Grumpy Ram is perfect for me. So it was actually a time when I was visiting with them, and my dad's like, come help me get this ram. Okay, so me and my mom jumped in the car. We put a trailer on the back, a big trailer, because we had to load this ram up in it. Um, and so we drove off on this highway. Now, Tasmanian highways are quite crazy. You're going 90, there's trucks passing you, all of this thing. And we went to go pick up this ram. Now, this poor ram had been living in one really small space for his whole life. And so, which was great, we were finally going to be able to take him home. He'd have all this land, all the ladies around him. He'll have a great time. And so we went to go pick up this ram. And when I tell you this ram was a ram, now this is an internet picture, but this thing was 
massive. I've never seen something like that before in my life. It came up, I'm not kidding, to like my shoulder. This was a couple of years ago. I haven't had a growth spurt since then. So up to my shoulder, and he had the biggest horns I've ever seen in my life. And my dad's like, we need to get him in there. I'm like, no, we don't need to get him in there. We can go home and leave him there. I'm not touching this thing. And so we tried to like back the trailer up, and the people who owned him at the time were like, it's okay, he'll jump in, it's not a problem. So they led him in with food, and as we were closing the gate, he's like, panic stations, I'm not leaving my tiny home that I'm comfortable with, broke free. So we're like, we're not getting this thing again. And at this point, he's like, mad, like there's like some saliva, there's a snot bubble coming out, he's doing the like, and I'm like, I'm not touching this thing. I'm too young to die. Like, don't, dad, not for me. So we left him there because the owners were like, you know what? At the end of the day, he always gets fed. So instead of putting his food in his trough, we'll put it in the trailer and then we'll call you guys and you can come pick him up. So we went home and as it was, they called us right on sunset. They were like, Ram's ready to be picked up. He's right in the trailer. No problems. We've closed the latch. Great. So we got there. This ram was not happy that it was even in an even smaller space. Um, and so we latched this, ram, this cage, this trailer cage thingamabob. Clearly, I know mechanical things. Um, and drove off down the highway. Now, this is a highway where you're going like 100 k's an hour. And we're watching this ram like bounce up. He's getting more and more mad because now he's like, now there's no suspension to this and I'm already mad and you've left my home and what am I going to do? Um, it's very mad. And it was my mum's job to keep looking back at the trailer and make sure the ram is okay. So she looks back. He's all right. We're heading down this highway. There's trucks passing. Everything's happening. I'm thinking about like how are we going to get this thing out when we get home? Anyway, apparently my parents hadn't thought about it. And so we're driving, and something in my head is like, turn around and look at the ram. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is mum's job. She's going to think I'm undermining her again if I turn around and look at it. So I'm like, no, keep looking forward, keep looking forward, keep looking forward at the road. The ram is fine. The ram is fine. The ram is fine. And again in my head, turn around and look at the ram. I'm like, no, nah, this is not worth the argument with my mum. I'm not doing it. Not doing it. And again, turn around and look at the ram. So you know when you're just like subtly trying to be like, I'm not looking, but I'm looking? You know, like those ones? Um, so I turned around and looked, and just as I <laughs> turned around to look at the ram, my dad, who's real prepared, like plans, everything, failed to tell anyone that the latch on the trailer was dodgy, so if you hit a bump, it doesn't stay. And so as I turned around, we hit a bump, and I just saw that door go open wide, and the ram go, doink, doink, doink down the highway. I immediately yell, stop the car! Like, the ram is gone, the ram is gone. My dad slams on the brake, the trailer's like doing its own thing. My mum's jumping out with a rope. I don't know where cowgirl came from. Like, I don't know where that was happening. So she like literally gets up, jumps out to go lasso this ram, like, who do you think? Anyway, go mom. Um, and so we jump out, and my dad just keeps driving, like, see you gals. I'm like, okay. And this ram, obviously, is legging it down the road. He's like, I ain't going back in there. 
running, running down the road. And there are trucks coming. Me and my mom are like trying to stop trucks. My mom's there with a rope trying to catch this angry thing. I don't know why. It was, it was chaotic. And we didn't know what we were doing. And this, we somehow, there was like a truck driver that came out with like a, a stick, like everyone all of a sudden was helping us get this ram. And we had cornered it into a corner because we had found like a farm fence. So all of us were standing there around this ram. And this ram at this point is mad. If it wasn't mad before, now it's like, and now you're trying to kill me. No, thank you. So it is like, it's doing that whole like leg thing. It's like... Be, putting its horns at me, and my dad, and then my mom's like, come on, go, go, go. I'm like, I don't want to go. I'm your daughter. You should love me. Why are you sending me to death? I don't understand. Again, endless content with my parents. Um, so we were there, and we're trying, and my dad shows up. Where have you been, mate? Um, he had actually ended up calling the owners at the time, and the owners came because the ram was so used to them. He was never mad at them. They were his comfort zone. Even though he lived in a small space, it didn't matter. That was his spot. And so they led him with food. And then the lady, I know, she picks the ram up by the horns and chucks him in the trailer. I'm like, where did you come from? Like, where is this strength from? So they put him in the trailer. I have never seen so many ropes secured around a trailer in my life. Like, that thing was not coming out. We had to cut some free at the end because we were like, no way. We got home. This ram had just like a little scratch on his little, what do they call Do they have elbows? Do rams have elbows? His little shin? Just a little scratch. He was fine. Um, and we let him out and he just ran in the opposite direction. But he lived a really happy life. He was out there in this big old space. He wasn't confined. It was different. It was uncomfortable for him for the first couple of weeks. But he, he lived his life. I mean... It's a bit ironic because then a couple of weeks later, the ram ate a bad patch of grass and died, so it was worth it. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mum and Dad. So good. You might have wanted to check the lawns that you put them out to, but they got some baby sheeps out of it, so it was good. So anyway, sorry, guys. Back to the serious part. Um, so this ram had gone from a really tiny space into a really large open space and had a really great couple last weeks of life. Um, he had a great time and it's, it's interesting because it makes me think that comfort is something that is very interesting because it is something that can actually eat away at our potential, our purpose and our promise. Now, there is a story in John chapter 5 verses 1 to 14. It's a known story. I think Hasidia told you guys about it. Um, and, but we're going to be concentrating on verses 1. Ooh, there were verses there. Apparently not anymore. All right, so we can open up our Bibles on our phones. Um, we're going to be going to John chapter 5, verses 1 to 9. If you want to read with me, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, some of your Bibles may have verse 4. Some of them don't. It depends on the translation, so I'll read it. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool. And when the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down there ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now, for a moment, I want to, before we unpack the story, I want to touch on the two important spaces that are mentioned that take place in the story. So it is... No? All right, we're going back. Oh, there was our surprise versus um, the pool of Bethesda and the sheep gate. So these are the two spaces that are mentioned in this story. And they're very interesting and they set an important scene for the rest of the story. Now, the pool of Bethesda, if you don't know, was actually recently discovered in 1956 by a German archaeologist. So that's quite a recent discovery. And until that time, the verdict was out on this Bible story because they were like, how on earth is it possible that this pool has five five walls? Like, it doesn't make sense. There's nothing that's a weird pentagon shape. We haven't found it yet. And then they finally discovered this pool. They discovered it in the place that it should be. And they're like, but it's only got four sides. Like, we don't get it. And then they kept digging and they found the wall in the middle. So it's quite interesting that it's quite recent. And the name of the pool derives from the Hebrew Aramaic language, which means it has two alternate meanings. It means either the house of mercy or grace, or it can also mean shame and disgrace. Two very opposite kind of names for it. Now, the dual meaning kind of been, could have been very appropriate for what the pool was used for, where people would go in disgrace, in shame with the elements that they had, and when the pool healed them, should have been full of joy and mercy and grace. It was, it was quite amazing. And what's, there's another interesting part of this pool is that they discovered later on there was a part of it that they actually used to go and wash the sheep in before the sheep were led to be sacrificed in the temple. So, so quite quite interesting. And if you look at it, so if you look at it, there's Bethesda. So on your right, that would be the, the pool. The North Pool was used kind of as a storage for fresh water that would come off a spring. And then the South Pool was where that water would trickle. And that's where people would lie there for ceremonial washings or to be healed because they had that kind of rumor mill. Someone got in and was healed. I mean, it could have been like back in the day, they didn't wash, they washed all of a sudden. They're not dirty anymore. Surprise. Who knows? No, the Bible doesn't go into that, and there's no real scriptures. And then it led to the massive temple that people would go to sacrifice. But if you see the, if you see the word Antonia, and you look down at the wall, you see like a little doorway? That's the sheep gate. And the sheep gate is actually very, very important because the sheep gate starts to be mentioned in Nehemiah, which was... Lifetime ago in Bible times compared to where we are at now. And if we roll back the story and look at it historically, Jerusalem had been like wiped out, destroyed by the Babylonians, and all the Jews had been exiled. And then slowly they started coming back in waves. So the first wave came back, they started rebuilding the temple. The second wave came back, the third wave came back, which was led by Nehemiah. And his job was to rebuild, restore the walls. Now, the walls are interesting because they all have their own kind of entrances. And if we read in Nehemiah 3.1, it says, 
Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far, far as the Tower of Hanel. So they built all these different gates for different purposes that people would come in bringing certain things. So there was the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the refuse gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, horse gate, or the east gate. So there's a whole bunch of gates, but what was interesting is the sheep gate was the only one that was anointed. That's it. Because it had a specific purpose that the sheep would come from the market, go through this gate, go through the pool of Bethesda, be washed, and then be sacrificed at the temple. So that was the whole story. And this is where Jesus had found himself at the time. Now, this is where Jesus had found himself in the time. And this is where we find this story. So that is setting the scene for you for what is about to happen. Now, Jesus was heading to Jerusalem for one of the Passover festivals that were happening at that time. And he decides to visit the pool of Bethesda, which I actually think is quite interesting because during a time where there was a lot of Jewish rituals and practices and things that he should have observed, instead he chose to go to the pool of Bethesda and spend time there. He wanted to spend time with people. And he wanted to help those that were in need. Now, as we know, tradition had it that the waters would stir and someone would be healed. And that, that was that, and it was no different when Jesus had come. That was still the rumor mill. That is what people thought would be happening. And as you know, in the story, Jesus approached the lame man, which is quite unique because in other miracles, people usually come to him. This is the first time he approaches someone and finds them in the place that they are at. He finds them there. And this man lays defeated and, dare I say, almost comfortable in his unableness. This is what he knows. This is what he is comfortable with. His discouragement has kind of made his hope disappear. And then Jesus asks, do you want to be healed? Which I think all of us, whenever I read this, I'm like, that's such a weird question. Like, duh, he wants to get better. Of course he does. What on earth? But then the man's answer is almost one of complacency, I find. Like, this is... He doesn't know, but there's like a miracle worker in town. There's been rumor mills. He should know this. So maybe he's like researched a little bit of hope, but he's just like, it just hasn't happened before. He hasn't got into the water. It's not going to happen in the future. So this is me. Can't help it. Just going to be me. There was no ritualistic process in the man's healing. The man didn't have to step into the pool to be healed. And Jesus healed him with just a few words. That's it. And the first thing Jesus says to do is what the man could not do or, he, or what he had tried to do for 38 years. And it's very important to notice that in this particular healing, Jesus doesn't command the one who he healed to go and wash himself, which actually happened in a lot of other stories. He went and told them to wash, whether the mud of the eyes, this one, no. He just told the man to get up, pick up his mat and go. That was it. Jesus could have done it. It was easy. The pool was right there. He could have set a whole scene. Everyone would have looked. No. Jesus took this man's sin on. As the lambs would take on the sin before the sacrifice when walking through the sheep gate, he was made clean in the same place the lambs would be made clean. Jesus was making a new commandment, showing a new way. And he turns the known titles for the pool of Bethesda from shame and disgrace into mercy and grace. Now, John 10, verses 7 to 9 actually says this, Therefore Jesus said again, 
Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. So this man is healed and he carries his mat. He walks in, he stands up, he carries his mat. And he walks away and he's still carrying his mat. The mat that he sat on for 38 years. The mat that collected everything when he could not stand or shower. The mat full of dirt from his life. The mat a symbol of his comfort and his discouraged self. And he's carried the story with him. His story is the mat is almost a visual representation of where he has been and the future he is now walking into. God doesn't want us to be in these comfortable, discouraged spaces. God kind of wants us to be uncomfortable, uncomfortable because it is in the uncomfortable that God actually works. It's where his power can begin. Our limitation ends and God's unlimited power begins and only then are we able to have genuine overflow from our relationship with him. That's what it's all about. It's about being uncomfortable. It's about stretching ourselves and watching how God can overflow in us. And the reason God offers us an opportunity to overflow in him is because we matter to him. This man who Jesus healed mattered to him. We, in our discouragement, matter to him. He mattered to God. We matter to God. Thank you. 